time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, on behalf Team of Detroit, the hey, we want to present these buffs to our governor, hey. Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. Woo. You can find her in the press under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face, because that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stretch. We got Big Grit. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grit. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grit. Come on. Big Gretch and this bitch playing no roles. At Excuse all. all the cussing. That's just how I get my flow on. For real. If you want to leave the state, you can stay gone. But right now, Big Gretch said stay home. All that protesting was irrelevant. irrelevant. Big Gretch ain't trying to hear y'all or the president. How we going to take orders from a non-resident? Talking about it safe, but he ain't coming with the evidence. Uh-oh. Big Grits got him shook now. When it's all over, you invited to the cookout. When it's all over, you deserve to get took out. Big Grits with the bucks on on the lookout. Uh, and she doing it for Michigan, so when she hit the stand, everybody should be listening. She on that pair of bucks with the ice in them glistening. On behalf of the whole Detroit mission. Throw the bucks on her face, cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Throw the buffs on her face. Cause that's Big Grits. We ain't even about to stress. We got Big Grits. At all. You can find her in the press. Under Big Grits. Fresh in a new dress. Yeah, that's Big Grits. Big Grits. Rod Serling's daughter, Anne, from 2016 Father's Day, straight ahead. That's one of the, one of the parts of the book, reading about, uh, about your dad and, and how he relived uh, um, his childhood memories, uh, visiting places uh, in the summertime, going back to his hometown. And 
there's this sense that, you know, the Rod Serling we all know from the Twilight Zone, you know, took off his narrow tie and and hung up the black suit jacket and uh, put on a cardigan sweater and some sneakers and just hung out like a regular guy. My, my dad was born in Syracuse, New York, and grew, and then they moved to Binghamton when he was about two. Binghamton is about an hour away from where the summer cottage is, and my dad would make this annual pilgrimage and drive back to his hometown and drive by his old house and the merry-go-round. Um, it, you know, certainly the Twilight Zone episode, Walking Distance, was very biographical. Yeah. I, one of the things that, that I remember uh, from our first conversation, Anne, was you talking about um, how you really never saw Twilight Zone until many years later. That It wasn't that it was forbidden, but you were discouraged from watching it. Is that Am I remembering that right? Well, one of the things was I was never allowed to watch television during the week. That was my mother's rule. And I always knew that my, and I think it was on Friday night, but I'm not sure about that, but um, I always knew that my dad was a writer, but I didn't know exactly what he was writing until this very mean boy on the playground asked me one day if I was something out of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> oh, and no. I, of course, I had no idea what he meant, so I went home, and I asked my father what that meant, and he explained that he wrote for a series that was a little too old for me, um, and that was the end of that. And probably it was a year or so later, the first one that I watched, I actually watched with my father at our summer cottage, and it was night, uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And even though my dad didn't write that one, um, it was Richard Matheson, uh, it, it was just terrifying to, to see, you know, this monster on the airplane wing and to think that my father was involved in, in writing... Uh, these kinds of stories. It was. It's funny too, Tom. I was on a panel with William Shatner, and I guess I was sort of wagging my finger at him, and I said, "You, you scared the hell out of me." And that was, <laughs> he said, "What are you yelling at me for? Your father, your father wrote it." And again, he, my dad hadn't written that one, but uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that one, uh, you know, it, and there are a couple of uh, Twilight Zone episodes with uh, William Shatner in them. When you, and I, I'm not sure exactly how to put this together or put this in context, but you led, for as iconic as your dad in Twilight Zone um, and, and Night Gallery and many of his other uh, very gifted works, um, for as as iconic as as your dad was, you led a very private life. Um, what made you decide to do this book? Because you knew you were going to be attracting the attention of a lot of uh, show business people. Well, there were there were three reasons why I wrote this book. One was, and I'd actually started another book a few years after my dad died called In His Absence, and because I find writing cathartic like my father did, but I wasn't ready to finish that book because he, I was still so grief-stricken. So when I, did, when I wrote As I Knew Him Again, it was a, it was a tool to, to, to manage the grief. I also wanted to know more about um, my father's professional life, 
And the third reason was there had been other quote-unquote biographies written about my dad that described a man that was not remotely familiar to me or any of his friends or anyone that knew him, and I decided it was time to set the record straight, you know, who he really was. Well, I know in the the book you talk about... um, how close you were with your dad and and how lost you were when when he passed away and and what that transition was like and as i mentioned at the uh, at the beginning of our conversation and that's one of the most powerful parts of the book that i think uh um, anyone would uh find an interesting read especially coming up on father's day sunday for fathers and daughters uh, everywhere um how tough was it for you being somewhat private to lay those feelings out there? Well, initially, Tom, it was really difficult because I am a private, a kind of shy person. And when I first uh, showed an earlier draft to my editor, she said to me, and so I really have to credit her for this, she said, your grief is so central to this book, you need to be more open and once she said that, I just, I just let it go, and I just completely opened up. And, it, and it, um, it's interesting because I, I did a reading at the Paley Center before the book was even completed, and a woman came up to me after and said that she told me that her father had a terminal illness and that after hearing me read, she knew she'd be okay. And it was, it was so unexpected, and I was so grateful to hear that, you know, somehow something I had said had reached her and helped her. It was just, you know, quite a moment. And I I couldn't even articulate anything to say back to her. All I could do was hug her. And and that's one of the things that that I found uh, so interesting about the book because, you know, I like to think of myself not so much as a buff, but certainly, uh, you know, a a, uh, pop trivia fan and and so there there's a lot of backstory on twilight zone and your father and his writing and his biography but then there are these these wonderful father-daughter moments and and tender reflections and uh and sharing those those emotions that this this book really exists on, on a number of different levels Did you plan it that way, or did it kind of write itself? You know, I've never been asked that, and that's an interesting question. And I think, I don't know that I I necessarily planned it. I think you're right. It sort of just wrote itself. I mean, every morning, you know, when I would hit the computer, it just, it just came, it just, whatever was flowing. It's it's kind of funny because parts of it are written almost as if you were this independent biographer, you know, talking about, um, you know, some of the some of your dad's friends and and army buddies, and uh, his relationship with his dad. There are I, I think there's a letter or maybe a couple of letters uh, back and forth from your dad to his uh, folks from when he was in the army. Yeah. They're- Several letters that, and I'm so fortunate to, you know, that these, my dad saved all of these letters in a, in a box, and I vividly remember him bringing out this box and reading them, and uh, a, a lot of these letters that I have were written uh, to, in, to my 
dad from his parents and from my dad when he was in training camp. And, you know, my dad was 18 years old. And, and when I was writing those chapters, my own son was 18. So it really drove home just how young he was. Sure. Know, before going off into the horror of war. You know, it's, um, you know, for people like uh, like like me who read the book and I didn't know your dad, I didn't meet him. As a, I know you've been hearing from people who went to some of the lectures and classes that he conducted later in his life. Um, I, I never got a chance to meet him. I, I didn't know him, but feel like, like I loved him and loved his work and then got to know him so much better through your book. And, and it was a complete revelation that this was a regular guy who did some irregular, extraordinary things. Um, after the book was written, what were there things in doing your research that you discovered about your dad that that surprised you, having been so close to him and known him so well? Well, you know, I think I, I always knew, even as a child, that my dad was traumatized by the war because I have vivid memories of hearing him scream in the middle of the night, and when I would ask him in the morning what happened. He said he had dreamt that the enemy was coming at him. Mm. But I think, you know, these letters to and from his parents, uh, I, I, got a, I got an understanding of just how horrible that all was for him. And my father's father died when my father was overseas. And even though the war was over, he wasn't allowed, uh, he didn't have enough points to come home for the funeral. So, you know, that was another traumatizing event. Um, and, and I know that my dad missed his father greatly all through his life. He used to say to me, if only you had known your grandfather. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I never imagined, and I wrote this in the book, that I would be saying the same thing to my children. Yeah, I've, I've had that experience with my daughter as well, wishing that she had gotten a chance to meet my dad. Um, the... We just have a, a couple of minutes left, um, and but it's always such a treat talking with you. I enjoy our conversations very much, and I love the book. Where can people get copies of the book? Uh, Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Well, I, I highly... Or I also... Go ahead. Also, uh, on Rod Serling Books, uh, Facebook.com, um, I, I also provide signed copies if anyone wants one. Well, I can't imagine anybody not wanting one. It makes the perfect Father's Day gift and a great Father's Day read, to be sure. And uh, and thanks so much for uh, spending time with us. And and I love the Rod Serling Books Facebook page because of all the submissions from other people of photographs and newspaper articles. It's 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 wonderful to stay connected to that. Thank you so much, Tom. All right, and you have a a, a great day. You too, and have a nice weekend. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You too. That was uh, Ann Serling talking about her dad, Rod Serling, creator of uh, The Twilight Zone. The name of the book is um, As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling. And uh, we still have another segment of the Tom Sumner program coming up right after a uh, quick break. We will uh, bust away for our broadcast partners to let you know some valuable information and then we'll be back everybody's doing a brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everyone. This is uh, the Tom Sumner Program, and I have an interesting uh, conversation coming up this hour about a new book called Conversations Across America. And no, it isn't one of our political roundtables here on the Tom Sumner Program. It's a book about a uh, father and son and a bike trip across country. Uh, joining me is the author, uh, joining me by phone, Kari Loya. And uh, Kari, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for making time and giving me the invitation. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you and your dad took a, a 73-day bike ride from Yorktown, Virginia to uh, Astoria, Oregon. What kind of trail, it's the Trans-America Bike Trail, but what kind of trail is this? Is it something that's, that's paved, that's, that's carved out for bicycles in particular, or is it uh, uh, just um, paint lines along the, the highway? Yeah, yeah. The, so the Trans-America Bike Trail was originally set up in 1976, uh, by an organization at the time, uh, it was called the Bike Centennial because they were going to celebrate the bicentennial of the country, and they thought it would be uh, an incredible idea to have uh, oh, four thousand riders. I see what they did there. Yep, the so, bi- from the four thousand riders from fifty state at uh, fifty states and fourteen countries right across, and so the organization ended up becoming what's called the Adventure Cycling Association. Um, today, that's based in Missoula, Montana. Um, and what they do is they have curated maps. Um, and these are not dirt trails. These are roads, but it's mostly uh, rural uh, rural roads that are scenic when possible, avoid traffic when possible. Um, but they have a whole collection of maps. And now they've expanded to have a number of routes all over the country, all over the world. But their original Trans-America Bike Trail was the one that, and, and they actually did it in reverse from Astoria, Oregon, eastbound to Yorktown, Virginia. Um, and it's uh, really a map for each state, and there's about, there's 10 states. Um, uh, so that's what it is. And, and as you go along, there are signs that have a 76 marker at different parts. Um, uh, but you need to have a map to know where you're going to connect, to connect. otherwise you, could get, you can get lost. Yeah, I, w- I would imagine I've I've driven across country and and uh, um, just just from a couple of detours, I I, I got a little turned around a couple times. Um, but yeah. this was something you did with your dad. And um, is the book the telling of that tale, or is it um, a, a novel inspired by it? Yeah, so uh, so the, it, it's an actual chronicle of the adventure, but there's really two stories. Uh, the first story is this father and son story of uh, pursuing a dream, going across country, but it's uh, recognizing that my father at the time was 75 years old and had early stage Alzheimer's. And when we had this opportunity of a few months before I started a new job, it was clear that if we didn't seize the day then, it wasn't going to happen. And we talked about doing a cross-country bike trip for for decades. So the first part of the story, um, uh, or rather the first story of the book, is this father-son narration of what actually happened. 
um, and can we even get across? And then also coming coming to grips with his Alzheimer's and some conversations that we have about that. Um, then the second part, though, is something inspired by previous trips that I'd done um, where I had uh, previous bicycle trips where I'd seen that the most, what I thought was the most interesting part of bike adventures were the people that come up to you along the way. And oh, when you're yeah. on two wheels, it's amazing how approachable you are. And very quickly, wherever you go, people come up and what starts with a, you know, hey, hey where are you headed or where are you coming from? If you, if you engage in conversation, begin listening, everyone starts telling you their stories. And so we've got these wonderful stories from coal miners in Kentucky, uh, farmers in Kansas, entrepreneurs in Colorado, people walking across the country. Uh, and so what I did is I took the time to transcribe these in my phone, um, and then I would ask if I could take their photo. And so I've got this, the second story really is this collection of all of these conversations with people along the way as you go from Kentucky, uh, Virginia, um, through the Midwest, Illinois, Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Montana, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, uh, Oregon. Kari, when you say you transcribed it with your phone, did you make audio recordings or were you just sort of texting uh, the highlights? Yep. So I, yeah, so what I did was um, uh, I would, um, with my thumbs, and I do not like um, that, but that's what I had, uh, I would, <laughs> uh, shortly, shortly after these conversations, as soon as we were at a traffic light, um, as soon as I was waiting for my dad for some reason, um, but I would try to um, thumb in, and I used an application called Evernote, uh, but you could use any note-taking device, and I would try to recall um, as, as well as I could the actual conversations. And so I got very good at doing that, and my recall was excellent. One of the things that I would do is I would play back these conversations in my head to remember them so that when I did have that chance to stop shortly after, um, I could record most of that, capture most of that. Um, and so that, you know, that's great because I can capture their actual language um, because you get these wonderful regional vernaculars and slang and, oh, and, sure. and, uh, and, and sometimes specific terminology about that's relevant to the part of uh, the country that they're in. Um, but yeah, that was, I, 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 I got very good at conversation recall. That's um, And that's an interesting part of this book, because at first blush, you assume that it's, you know, father and son taking advantage of, of spending 73 days together and, and talking in ways they probably never talked before. But yet there's this whole element of, um, you know, getting people from across America to share their stories as well. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, as I said, there, there really are these two sets of conversations. There's the father-son conversation um, across the country. And, and the reality on that was that mo for most of the first half of the journey, we were in survival mode. <laughs> can, can we, where we, we pedal, we're troubleshooting, we're adapting, we're figuring things out um, to make sure that we can actually pull this off. And it, and it was not clear that we would be able to, uh, especially early. Um, and it was only towards the end, by the time we got to Idaho and Oregon, where we really were in a rhythm, and then we started to have some uh, very deep, important conversations that, that are in the book. Um, and they really are about his, his health and kind of what, what, how we were approaching that. 
Yeah, I, I want to get into that, but I'm really curious um, what kind of bikes you were riding. Yeah, so we got um, what were considered uh, are considered touring bikes, and so we had uh, Trek 520s, and um, uh, that was just, it's kind of like the you know the mule of, uh, of uh, adventure, which is it's just a good, solid, reliable bike, and we didn't have a lot of prep time when I I, re- I had accepted this position. We had about four and a half months, and so very quickly it was. We had a couple weeks, really, to say, okay, what's the gear? What are the bikes we need? What's the gear we need? And we scrambled with that, pulled things together, um, and, and then we're off. But the, those bikes were great, and, of course, you, you put on panniers, and so we had um, uh, a back rack, and then um, with and panniers, again, are like saddlebags, so a, a back right. rack bag, a back right bag, and then I had front panniers as well, plus a little front bag. Now, did you did you plan this trip and go from hotel to hotel, or did you camp? Yeah, so we did a combination, um, and uh, so we did everything from camping um, in campgrounds, or even on the side of the road, or in behind a gas station, or in a public park, um, to staying at simple. Uh, motels with that, that you probably wouldn't want to be staying at. Uh, <laughs> to to um, staying in churches, there are a number of churches along the route that open the, their doors up uh, to cyclists, which is wonderful. Um, to um, some hosts, I mean, I only learned this about halfway across the country when we talked with another cyclist. There's a organization called Warm Showers, where people who um, actually open up their home. Um, to traveling cyclists, and so we did that. Uh, we're able to take advantage of that, and um, kind of from Colorado West, we stayed with a few of those folks. And then there were even um, uh, a few folks um, who we just met along the way um, who opened up their home uh, to us, and that was um, amazing. Um, and then at the high end, we 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 did have um, we we had an issue with temperature because the uh, we we left April fifteenth, which was earlier than most folks doing a cross-country cycling adventure. And so that meant we were dealing with cold that cross-country cyclists typically don't deal with. And one of our key adjustments was we realized that um, uh, Merv wouldn't get sleep, or, and I can get into that later, but um, cold created problems and Merv wouldn't sleep. Um, and so um, we had a rule that if the temperature were going to be below 48 degrees, we had to stay in a motel even if it blew our budget. And when we got to Yellowstone National Park, um, we were going to stay in a campground, but the temperature was going to be below 48, and so we ended up staying at the only motel there um, where we were, which was Lake Yellowstone Lodge. And that's a, um, you know, a wonderful, beautiful luxury property, but I think in one night, you know, we did. Uh, we, we easily blew our budget in one, one night with a nice high-end, uh, high-end hotel. <laughs> But you know the, the but the whole point is just adapting. And you know one of one other key thing is there was this wild card of um, Alzheimer's and fitness um, of how we do. And so I had to remain uh, flexible throughout. And I would say that of these seventy three days, we had um, uh, probably seventy five percent. So fifty five of those seventy three days. At 4 p.m. in the afternoon, we did not yet know where we would be staying uh, because we had to just take advantage of, okay, if we're feeling good, we got to continue. And so we were constantly adapting. Uh, and so that's very different than a, you know, 
organized ride where you already know point A to point B to point C to point D to point E, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, yeah, that I was, would think uh, that would be kind of tough. I, you know, I I can relate in just the tiniest of ways because a friend of mine and I, when, when we were. Uh, in high school, rode our 10 speeds up to Tequamanon Falls in the Upper Peninsula. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, it was about three or four days each way. And, wow. And we went, because um, we were way downstate when we started, so we had to go across the mitten and across the bridge to the Upper Peninsula and and pretty far north in the Upper Peninsula to get to Tequamanon Falls. And, yeah. Um, and we went from basically from state park to state park. And yep. like I say, it was nothing like 73 days. One of the things I was curious about, did you do this round trip? Did you go all the way there and all the way back? No way. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling. This, this um, is a good one way. I think, uh, yeah. that. Uh, but it uh, was yeah, 73 days you- one way. Yeah, yeah, 73 days without, literally without a day of rest. Um, we had about three days where we um, rode from about 8 in the morning to noon, and so we got 20 hours of rest, and that was really our rest. But we had no no rest days, 73 days. And w- one of the things that motivated that was, again, there was this window, and ideally we probably would have had two more weeks, three more weeks to take a rest day here, a rest day there. But uh, you know how hard it is for most people to take, uh, you know, three months off or two and a half months off. And and, um, and so I was taking the time that we had, and we knew that uh, we, we would do what we could in those days. Now, as the trip progresses, and, and, and most of what I've read about the book, and, and I apologize, Kari, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book yet, but... Yeah. Um, the things that I've read about the book um, it talks about your dad's uh, or Merv's Alzheimer's and and how yep. he was just in the beginning stages of it when you began this trip. How did it affect your communication and the trip? Um, I, I I would think that might have gotten a little bit disorienting, not just for him but for you as well. Yeah, so um, so this was one of the wonderful things about the trip to begin with, which is um, uh, I knew that, you know, I, I'd seen my dad period a, a, a few days here, a few days there, but this was a chance for me to spend 73 days straight with him where we'd rarely be more than 10 feet apart. And so I could see up close uh, how he was doing. And, um, uh, and, and before the trip, friends and family had been raising a number of alarms, uh, and had growing concerns about uh, Merv in general. And, um, and, and so the kind of last thing then was, oh, he's going to go biking across the country. Well, and at, and, at 75 and, and, and he's and, what, and, the oldest yep. to make this trip? He's one of the oldest. Yeah, and and probably the oldest that year. Um, there are definitely some folks who've been older, but but uh, um, yeah. And so you know, one of it, it, there was a, a lot of question marks. And and so from a fitness standpoint, though, Merv has you know he was biking 
to work, uh, commuting by bike in the 70s. And so we've always had fitness as part of our regiment. Um, you know, he's always done some other little bike trips and cross-country ski trips and lots of hiking, um, but nothing like this. So this was, um, uh, you know, he'd done some triathlons back in the 80s. We were very early in that. Um, but again, nothing of this magnitude. And so it was a big question mark early on was how will he do? And, um, you know, the, kind of a summary is of the 73 days, there's not one day where he would be able to tell you what town we started and what town we ended. Um, and so, you know, confusion with place and time and forgetting words and names, um, uh, those are some of the, you know, early, uh, some of the symptoms you start to see with um, early stage Alzheimer's. And then, um, and so as we went along on, you know, I was seeing some of that, but on day uh, three uh, or day, day four, um, you know, we went, got into a campground and uh, uh, end of a long day and I sit down and I said, he says he's going to the bathroom and I set up camp and I make some dinner, I eat dinner and now suddenly 45, 50 minutes later, he comes back from going to the bathroom and I'm like, oh, hmm, okay, I will mental note to self check in on him going forward because why is it taking 45 minutes for him to go use the restroom? Um, and then that, you know, the next morning on day five, uh, we're ready to, um, he comes out of the bathroom and we're going to, um, climb up the Blue Ridge Parkway and he comes out with his Lycra shorts on inside out. Um, and you've got this, this bright red, uh, padded cross screaming <laughs> you know, like a bullseye. And so I just walk up to smile and I walk up to Merv and, uh, Merv, my dad is Merv and, um, and simply make him aware of his fashion faux pas. And, uh, and he, he, uh, you know, he, he uh, addresses that and, and we're off and running. But those were some of the, um, you know, those are some of the early indications that, okay, I've, I've got to keep all my wits about me and make sure that he's, he's doing okay. Throughout the trip, was he, um, always aware of who you were and and who the two of you were to each other and that you were on this trip or had he already started to to move away from that reality yeah no he he absolutely was aware and so that was um uh you know so this was early stage and so there were some of these symptoms that i mentioned um uh but but yeah absolutely aware he could have um you know, he would he would have um, uh, some wonderful halting conversations with folks uh, along the way, and um, you know, and that and that's all the more reason why it was so important for us to do that. Um, you know, have the adventure while he could um, still. How did uh, this? Part- how did this come up? How did this come to you and or him to do this? Well. Yeah, well, we talked about um, doing a cross-country bike adventure, uh, bike trip for decades. And I actually, I, I didn't remember this, but um, when we got to, uh, when we got to Missoula, Montana, where the Adventure Cycling Association is, one of the things that they do, they do a couple things. They, uh, you, the cross-country cyclists will check in there um, and they will weigh your bikes. Um, but then they also, the, the co-founder is a gentleman named uh, Greg Seipel. And he then for, I think from the inception, he has done this wonder, these wonderful black and white portraits of all of the cyclists that pass through there. 
And so in doing that, he also then has folks um, make some, uh, there's a few questions that he asks them. Um, but Merv, when asked of, you know, kind of an, any sort of interesting note, um, he had scribbled on his form um, that he remembered in 1976, the original ride going through our hometown of Eugene, Oregon. And he remembered seeing um, some of that, those original cyclists do that. And so I hadn't realized that that's really what planted our seed for a cross-country adventure. And so it took us, uh, what is that, uh, 29, <laughs> 39 years? 39 years later, we made it. <laughs> well, and, you know, I said that there, I could relate in we, the tiniest of ways because the little trip that I took with my buddy in high school was only a couple of weeks. But as you're talking about some of the things that you encountered, the people that you met, and 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 budgeting and blowing your budget, and you know all of, I, yeah, I experienced yeah. all of those things in that tight yeah. time frame. What I didn't experience was forty five days into it, trying to figure out why did I want to do this? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. Uh... You know the 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 other interesting uh, on you know on 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 your trip, how much preparation did you put into that? It sounded like a four days up, four days back. Yeah, it was about that. Yeah, yeah. How much preparation? We looked you- we looked at a map and and kind of estimated somewhere between seventy and a hundred miles per day to to yeah. to go from uh, campground to campground. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. um and we you know we had uh you know just a small nylon tent and a couple of sleeping bags and um we had just a little bit of stuff to cook with and you know things like instant oatmeal and you know just, yeah. just yeah. odds and ends that didn't take up a lot of space and weren't real complicated to make. But, boy, every once in a while we'd be at one of those parks and somebody would invite us over for a big bacon and eggs breakfast. And yeah. we, we didn't waste any time getting over to their campground. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that. I mean, one, one of those interesting questions when people are thinking about their own adventures is how much preparation you put in. And there are seem to be kind of two extremes. There's 100% preparation where you know, every, I mean, it's like travel in general where you know every minute every minute of the day is scheduled. You know exactly what's going to happen. And some people prefer that uh, for certain adventures um, uh, or for certain trips. And then there's the other of just, you know, completely winging it, um, the zero preparation. What I've found is I, sh- I shoot for kind of a 70 to 80% preparation where you, you prepare enough so that no one's going to die or get seriously injured. Uh, but then you are um, you leave a lot of openness to be able to adapt to things along the way and for opportunities that may come up. I mean, you just mentioned the you know the breakfast and uh, campground. Uh, sometimes if everything is so overscheduled, it's no, we've got to be here by then, and we're going there. Uh, right, when you right. Miss that, <clears throat> offered that wonderful spontaneous opportunity to wander three campsites over and hang with the folks that have the bacon on their grill. 
More about biking across America from the author of Conversations Across America, Kari Lloyd. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque riverway. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacle that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over
and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about biking across America from the author of Conversations Across America, Kari Loya straight ahead right exactly and um and and then there were a couple of times when we wanted to treat ourselves to something and yeah oh yeah and and the money was just just not there and yeah. um it, it it like i say I, I i i had the experience but in a very very small way compared to what you and uh, murph did this is yeah, you know, but you know, and I would, uh, I would to, to that. It's interesting in a very small way. So my dad and I, when I was in eighth grade, um, this was 1984. We did a uh, kind of our first multi-day bike adventure. We did 300 miles in three days. That was SAG supported because my sister was driving a car with all the stuff in it. Um, from uh, Pinedale, Wyoming, up through Jackson, Wyoming, and uh, and then a loop of Yellowstone. And my grandparents had a small cabin in Pinedale, Wyoming. But those three days, that was the first kind of taste of wow, this is adventure. Um, and uh, and you know, crossing the Continental Divide, and and so at a very early age, um, that gave me a sense of learning to work through some of the lows and the challenges that we faced in order to get to those amazing highs. And, um, you know, and so big adventures start with small adventures. So I think that's awesome that you did that 10 speed, 10 speed. Let's go. We're going to go North, uh, eight day adventure. Cause it's like, wow, that can lead to big things. Well, and, and the thing about it is Kari. And, and again, it, it never led to me wanting to, you know, motorcycle around the around Europe or anything, but um, but I will never forget that experience. Yeah. What 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 are the things that stand out for you from that experience? Um, seeing live bears. Wow, that was a little frightening. We yeah. uh, <laughs> we, we took a wrong turn. We had gotten as far north as we were going to go and we had turned west on this highway to get to Taquamanon Falls State Park which is a great full service you know campsite campground and uh, they even have some little programs in the evening we stayed there for two or three days I think before we started back but we were tired it was a, it was a longer leg of the trip than others had been so we we took a wrong turn thinking it was the drive into the um the state park but it was the uh the town dump 
Wow. Well, yeah. And there were <laughs> bears crawling all over this garbage. Oh, that's Just great. lumbering around. And, you know, I turned to my friend and I said, you didn't tell me there were going to be bears. <laughs> I said, what is this, Jellystone Park? we got to get out of yeah. here. And we turned around yeah. and rode out. And, you know, I mean, there was no confrontation <laughs> or anything. But it, for yeah. a city kid like me, that was a big deal. Yeah. And, and I will never forget that. And then there was the night that um, a skunk got into our garbage. Oh, yeah. Um, my my friend, who was a lot more experienced with outdoor stuff, you know, said, let's make some racket, thinking it was maybe a bear. And, you know, scare it off. So we're hooting and yep. howling and doing all that. Yep. And he peeks out this little screen <laughs> and realizes yep. it's a skunk. And he turns to me and says, shut up, shut up. <laughs> we don't want to do anything to scare the skunk. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, um, but but it was yeah. those things. Because, I, like <laughs> I said, Kari, I was a city kid. And so yeah. to be really out there was... Yep you know kind of kind of different for me and and and, and that's something oh, go ahead i'm sorry I, I was just going to say and those are the things that that i will always remember and as you point out in your book and and share in your book some of the conversations with people along the way yeah and again i didn't <laughs> you know we didn't have 300 conversations but yeah we had a couple of good ones yeah, it's interesting. The you know the, again back to the kind of how much you schedule. Uh, you, you, it's it's you know you can you, you knew you were going to see the falls. Um, oh yeah. But it, it it that's kind of the seventy percent, uh, and there's a thirty percent wild card. Of, but we don't know what's going to happen in between. <laughs> right. And that's right. where the magic of a live bear encounter and a skunk encounter that just uh, you know that that those are the moments that. Uh, uh, you know, make those adventures. Well, and and then you know? it becomes like the, the falls is you know such an obvious landmark. It it just reminded yeah. me a little bit of uh, Chevy Chase standing there by, by yeah. the Grand Canyon. Okay, <laughs> back in the car. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's well, you know, on this on the live bear note, um, when we got to Idaho, one of the gentlemen that we spoke with was a uh, a veteran a young veteran who had served two tours in Iraq, received the Purple Heart, and he was now devoted, um, dedicated to taking other vets on bear hunts in order to help them regain their sense of purpose. Oh, um, really? you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and battle a lot of the demons that these guys were coming back with. And he would say that after he took these guys on bear hunts, he would get calls from their wives saying that it was the most you know, excited, most the happiest they'd seen their husbands since returning from duty. And and then as a curious follow-up, that was in Idaho. When we got out into Oregon in kind of a, you know, God being poetic, our last day, which was along the coast um, up to the, the stretch going up to Astoria, the morning of our last day, day 73, Merv and I went through another uh, a state park out in Oregon and there was a section that was closed off to traffic. And it's probably 8 a.m. And we're going through, and suddenly we come across a bear. And so the, we, we, we stop, and that was the last thing that I was expecting to see on the Oregon coast, let alone our last day. And 
and we stop and from 20, 20 yards away, we just observe as this bear um, goes across, walks across the road. And it kind of, at the, you know, the great thing about these adventures is, is after the adventure, we're still getting magic and meaning out of those adventures. And so I, I would kind of come to realize later that for Merv, this whole adventure really was like his bear hunt. He was like one of those veterans because he had been for the little several years navigating this growing sea of no's and can'ts. He can't do this. No, look at and this, this decline. Sure. Which is so often what happens with disabilities, but cognitive disabilities, Alzheimer's, it's all about the decline and no, you can't do this, you can't do that. And so this adventure gave him that sense of power, a sense of I can. And so I loved the poetic um, bookend of this adventure where on the last day Merv found his bear and we observed it like the bear of Alzheimer's and we observed it but then we continued on our way and finished our journey well kudos to you and I think you're very lucky to have had that time with your dad and I, I don't know what his condition is now but I can I can only wish wish you and him the best and I appreciate you sharing your stories and adventures and tolerating mine <laughs> um, and and uh, and and telling us about this book uh, and and letting the listeners know about it and and we're out of time and I knew it was going to fly by, um, but Kari uh, and and again I I'm going to say the 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 book is. Um, called Conversations Across America, A Father and Son, Alzheimer's, and 300 Conversations Along the Trans-America Bike Trail that Capture the Soul of America. Just came out in uh, June of 2022, written by my uh, my guest this morning, um, Kari Loya. And Kari, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Uh, you know what? I actually am in the process of getting that up right now. I, 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 I don't, but if you Google You'd be me, surprised how many times I hear yeah. that, Kari. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but... Um, uh, but I appreciate that, and I encourage listeners, I guess, you know, kind of two two things, which is, number one, um, uh, uh, find someone you love and seize the day, because uh, tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us. Um, so if there is something that you've talked about doing with a loved one, do it. And then number two is, you know, in these polarized times, um, spend as much time listening to other people around you, um, including a lot of people that are different from you, because that can lead to um, great things. And we have a lot, a lot more in common than we have difference. And how else are you going to learn anything? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Well, Kari, thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work. And and um, what's what's next for you? Uh, well, I am on a creative sabbatical right now, and I'm wrapping up. This is the second book project that I'm wrapping up, and I'm doing some music stuff, and I've got voiceovers, but I'm also trying to. Uh, you know, my, my, my biggest passion is, is still education and helping empower individuals, teams, uh, organizations. And so trying to find um, the right school, uh, possibly school, that I can um, uh, help them uh, do great things. Well, thanks again, Kari Loya. The book is uh, Conversations Across America. And uh, keep up the good work. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. I appreciate your time.
Okay, and with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Old Fashioned Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 